Hi there, and welcome to the Grief and Rebirth podcast. I'm your host, author and trauma survivor, Irene Weinberg, here to encourage you wherever you are in your healing journey. In each episode, I chat with incredible grief and trauma specialists, healers, mediums, and celebs, as well as remarkable people who have inspiring healing stories to share. If you're looking for a podcast that's both uplifting and inspiring, you've found it. Let us help you find your joy in life. I'm speaking to you from my studio in West Orange, New Jersey. Truly delighted to have this opportunity to interview the authentic, gifted, and loving medium, intuitive, and certified sound healer, Deb Levine. Deb, who will be speaking to us today from Scottsdale, Arizona, is originally from Philadelphia. She received her Bachelor of Arts in Advertising from Penn State University, followed by a 10-month stint at the Art Institute of Phoenix, where she received a diploma in baking and pastry arts. Even though Deb experienced a spiritual calling during her childhood, she stifled it to pursue a career in radio advertising sales and raise her two children. I'm looking forward to asking Deb about her journey to allowing her intuitive abilities to blossom, the development of her mediumship, her soul wisdom services that support both healing and empowerment, and surely more for what is going to be an interesting, uplifting, and enlightening interview. Hey, Deb, a warm, heartfelt welcome to Grief and Rebirth Podcast. Hi, Irene. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Truly my pleasure. Let's start with this question. In what ways did you get glimpses of your connection to spirit and your intuitive abilities when you were a child? Well, I was for sure always considered um, a sensitive child. I felt like um, I would pick up on the energies of other people. I wouldn't have known to to call it that at the time, but um, if I was in a room with other peers and, and kids were upset, I would feel that and I would just think that I had had a bad day, but what I realized later on was that I was kind of taking on the energies of of those around me. It was when I was 13, though, that I actually first heard from spirit, and it freaked me out. Um, I mean, I remember exactly it was- Can you describe that to us? Sure. It was a Memorial Day weekend. I had just come back from um, a barbecue with my family, and I shared one little bathroom with my older sister, and I had to go in and wash my face. And I was 13. So I remember going and in, leaning into the mirror to go pop a pimple. And I literally hear, now this is not hearing a voice in my head, an, a, a, an objective voice. It's, it's hearing almost in my mind's ear is how I say it. Like you'd see something in your mind's eye. I heard a voice that was British, an older British woman. Now I'm 13, right? Freaked me the heck out because I thought, I know I have a subconscious. I mean, even at 13, that was kind of a big, a big idea at the time, but I figured my subconscious would not have a British accent. I'm a girl from Philadelphia. That's not an accent that I would hear <laughs> someone talking. And so I, I, I couldn't even tell you what she said. She was an older woman. And I remember I literally recoiled like someone had just thrown hot water on my face. And I actually went like this, go away, go away, go away. I stuck my fingers in my ears. And that was the last I, I had heard from spirit for several years, but that was my first experience wow. with the spirit world. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, how did your path to mediumship and intuitive work open to you then? And how was your grandmother's death a catalyst to rebuilding your life to be more in alignment with who you truly are and your life purpose? So what happened, darling? Well, that's a very loaded, that's a whole other podcast. No, um, you know, we, there's that term used, you know, the dark night of the soul, which, which sounds very dramatic. And, and for a lot of us, we experience it for different reasons. For me, I would say it was definitely midlife. Um, I don't want to call it a crisis, but it was of sorts. Um, I was diagnosed uh, with ADHD. Um, I had been a very anxious child. And if, if you find, I'm sure you, you interview a lot of mediums, intuitives. What's very fascinating is that a lot of us in this, on this path of, of mediumship have had anxiety at one point in our life. Um, I've had it since I was a kid, chronic anxiety. We're going to, I'm sorry, we're going to say, why do you, why do you, why do you think that is? I, I feel very, uh, from my own perspective, I feel very certain it's because if you're a child and you're hearing from spirit and some, some of the people I know have had, have been hearing from spirit or seeing, actually seeing spirit since they were two years old. Um, and it's frightening when, when you're a child, when you, when you don't have an understanding of it. Now, I didn't see spirit objectively um, in my life. I still don't see objectively, but it wasn't coming to me like that. But I think feeling all the energy of, of people in the living and then feeling it uh, from people that were no longer in their physical bodies is... is what caused you to get anxious? Yeah, it, it caused a lot of anxiety. Now, and I'm not, I didn't have social anxiety. I was, I was an extrovert, very outgoing, um, but it, it was... The anxiousness was, um, it was debilitating at times. And what, what they came, my therapist uh, came to find out was that my anxiety was really kind of masking the ADHD, which is often for your listeners so they know, and I'm not saying that we all have ADHD, but a lot of times for women in their mid forties, it goes undiagnosed because it's seen as hormones, right? If we're perimenopause, it can be, oh, well, hormones, that's why you're forgetting things, or that's why you're kind of all over the place. Um, the ADHD is actually what causes the anxiety, typically, if it's untreated. So that was really the catalyst. There were a lot of other things in my personal life that were happening at the time. Um, but the main catalyst, and this, this actually happened at the same time that I lost my grandmother, which was, I have to wish her a happy birthday, where, where, uh, wherever she is right now. I know she's right here. Right around us. She's not smiling down on me because she hated my hair down. She said, Debbie, get your hair off your face. It looks horrible. She <laughs> pulled up. So I said, I'm going to just go as me today. And Graham's going to have to deal with my hair. But when she died four years ago at 102, she was my very best friend. I felt her at her funeral. I had to speak in front of, there were probably 450 people there. I was a nervous wreck. And my mom asked me to read a letter I had written to her when she was 90. That was her birthday gift. What do you get a woman that has everything? So I wrote her sort of like a love letter of sorts, telling her how I felt about her. So all I had to do was read the letter. And I don't mind speaking in front of groups. I'm quite comfortable, but I was, I was emotional. So I thought I was just going to break down. And I got up there and I stood on, at the podium and I had the strangest calm come over me. And I literally hear my grandmother say, you're going to read that letter, dear, every word, let them hear everything. And I thought, oh my God, because Graham would not want anyone to miss out on one darn word said about her, I can assure you. And I, th the best way to say it is I felt her, her presence was everywhere. And my grandmother at like four foot 10 had such a huge presence. She'd waggle her little finger at you, but man, she was, she was such a huge, huge presence and energy when she was living. And I could feel that presence even after she had died. And that at the same time of my life sort of breaking down with this ADHD diagnosis 
and this severe anxiety, it was sort of the perfect storm. That's kind of how it all began. Wow. Question. So, so you have a wonderful story about the Bridging Heaven and Earth seminar in Scottsdale, Arizona, and how life changing that was for you. And that was sort of at the beginning of your path now, right? It was really, well, it was, it was, it was the beginning of my, I would, I call it my official path in, in terms of working with a mentor. Um, although this was my second mentor. So uh, my first mentor, which many of your guests may know is, is the lovely Suzanne Giesman. I have so much to be grateful for, for her. And Suzanne Giesman is the one who felt guided to direct me to the amazing Suzanne Wilson, also known as the carefree medium here in, in carefree Arizona. It's crazy how I had a friend in New Jersey of all places who received an email. This is, I say, I don't like to say crazy. I like to say synchronous and amazing. She's not on any list. She has no idea who, who Suzanne Wilson is. She gets an email with a flyer about this bridging heaven and earth weekend. She says, emails me. She says, Deb, I have no idea how I would even receive this. I just feel nudged to send this email to you. I don't know anything about Suzanne. And in that same week, Suzanne Giesman we're emailing about something. She says, Deb, I feel guided to tell you Suzanne Wilson is going to be having a small group mentorship. It's like a, I think it was a six month program. I need to tell you to sign up for that. She was just starting. Suzanne Wilson was just accumulating students and she was only taking maybe eight students. I sight unseen, went to her website, had, meaning I had not, knew nothing about her, went to her website, clicked on the link, signed up for the course, knowing nothing about her. That was one of the most spontaneous things I'd ever I done. Would say. And then when my friend tells me there's this, so I asked Suzanne Giesman, I said, well, I just get an email from a friend announcing this bridging heaven and earth. Do you think it would be worthwhile to go? And she says, absolutely. You'll see her live. So it was a week, a weekend long um, event. And part of the event was she was doing platform mediumship demonstration with the other medium that was there from Tucson, um, Tina Powers. So this is the second day. It's in the morning. I'm driving there. And I sort of, I say in my mind to um, all of my, my loved ones in spirit, I don't need to receive any messages at this event. There were people here that were literally fresh in grief having, there were a lot of um, folks that had lost children, a lot of people from the Helping Parents Heal community. I knew there was a woman in the row next to me. Her husband had passed five days before. Now I'm one of the lucky ones. I have grandparents in the spirit world and that was it. And I said, I do not need to hear from anybody. Please allow these people to get messages and I will just you know bear witness. What do you know? We're in this. Suzanne Wilson starts. She's got her head microphone on. She's on the um, she's on the little platform, and they they tell us it's being recorded. And if if you can take the contact, the spirit contact, please raise your hand and stand up. So Suzanne starts walking back and forth, and she says right away, she says, "Oh, I have a woman here, and she has a huge personality. Oh, okay, and she's saying the name Reba. I hear Reba McIntyre." And I'm sitting here going, okay, please let someone raise their hand. And she says, oh, I'm sorry. I'm supposed to tell you it's not the country music singer, Reba McIntyre. It's the name Reba. And it's like on megaphone. It sounded, does anyone take the name Reba? Reba is my grandmother's name. Not the most common name. Her given name is Rebecca. She was only referred to as Reba. I'm looking around going, someone else must be raising their hand. And I go like this. And I hear someone say, put your hand up higher. And they come running over to me. They put a microphone in my hand. They tell me to stand up. And I'm thinking, what's happening here? Suzanne Wilson proceeds to give me a contact from my grandmother. There is no way on this earth she could have known the things that she was giving me the information on because something had happened in a meditation for me that week. 
And the words that Suzanne repeated from my grandmother were words that I had heard that I'd been guided in a meditation that week. No one could have known that. In addition to other things, something about my son, then my grandfather was there with her. I was, my knees were knocking together. I was, people around me are crying. I'm crying. Now I'm a medium at this point. I had been, I mean, not, I wasn't a professional medium, but I had been doing readings for people literally in my closet. So I knew what this experience was like from the medium's side, but to be in the opposite, to, to be in, in the other shoes and to experience that, the love of the spirit world, I could feel, I have the chills now as I say it, I could feel my grandmother's presence coming through Suzanne in a way that was so powerful. It was like nothing I, I could even describe in words. And typical for your grandmother, she didn't listen to you when you said, I don't need Oh, She was like, oh no, are you kidding? Reba got to the front of the line. I, I go to the front. The heck with all this. <laughs> would be her personality. It was, in fact, the way Suzanne said it, she was starting to kind of explain how it was going to work. And she's like, oh, excuse me. She says, I'm sorry. I have a woman here that's very insistent. She kind of got to the front of the line. And that, that the humor of the irony and the humor of that did not hit me until after she brought my grandmother through that even in the way she came through that Suzanne brought her through was so my grandmother, the essence, the personality, in addition to the evidential information she gave me. And I was able to really get a taste of just how powerful mediumship when it's done well and ethically, and when it's, it's really done with love, just how powerful it, it was life altering. I'll tell you why. Now I had said, please, I don't need mess. I don't need messages. Give it to the folks that need it. I didn't realize how badly I needed it. I was in this dark night of the soul. I was at a crossroads. I didn't know where I was going. Was I, was I supposed to embark on this path of, of mediumship and healing for others? I didn't know what to do. My grandmother's validation was literally life-changing. And yet she couldn't give it to me because she wasn't here in the physical, but she could still give it to me. And I have chills as I say that, because that tells us that our loved ones can very much be there to validate, to encourage, to offer us that support. I felt it. I'm a medium. You don't have to be a medium to feel that, but it just shows you we're, we're all human beings. And I got to experience that love of the spirit world. And it was, it was life-changing for me. It truly was. It's a wonderful story. And it is true. When people come through, they keep their personalities. Oh, I always know. Cause my husband had an amazing personality. When he comes through, he comes through with a sense of humor. And I always, you know, I know, I know. Um, Please tell us about the first time you began to trust yourself and your mediumship via the most spontaneous thing. Oh, that was the most spontaneous thing you'd ever done. Well, before, uh, before that, when the reason I met Suzanne Giesman was I was guided. I didn't know anything about Suzanne Giesman. And she was demonstrating in Fruitland Lakes, Florida. I'd never even heard of Fruitland Lakes, Florida. Here I am in Phoenix, Arizona. I know someone else that says, Deb, I don't know. This is actually, I have a friend in the Helping Parents Heal organization and she knew Suzanne Giesman and Mavis Patilla, who Suzanne was going to be demonstrating with. She emails me this flyer about this two hour demo in Florida on a Sunday. You're living in Arizona at the time. Living in Arizona. My children are young and my, my, my my husband then was traveling all around. Um, So I was, we don't have family in Arizona. So I, I needed to figure out what to do with my kids. I heard, I was nudged, you need to get on that plane, you're going to book a flight and you're going to go see Suzanne and Mavis speak. And I thought, I felt not like, I think Mavis, because there was something about Mavis that actually reminded me of my gram. There was, and she would, she would hold this tissue. My gram used to tuck a tissue in her watch and the way Mavis painted her nails, my grandmother always had these really dark colored nails. Something about her vibe just reminded me of gram. 
I'm on the plane on the five hour flight from Phoenix to, to Florida. And I hear, you're not going to see Mavis. You're actually going to see Suzanne. And I thought, cause I looked up Suzanne's website and she was so official and accomplished. And I thought, nah, she's not really woo woo enough for me. I like a little bit more woo woo, not totally, but she's just so, she seems so bright and scientific and, and factual. And I don't know if I, if I gel with her. Well, she's also the warmest, loveliest person is if you've experienced her, she's wonderful. I hear, what does that mean? She's going to be my, she's going to be a teacher and she's going to know that you're there. I don't know how to explain. I literally, I flew, I was in Florida for not even 24 hours there and back. I stood in line outside, even though I had a ticket, the ticket was 30 bucks. The plane ticket was a lot more. I didn't care. I knew I had to be there. And I waited in line at the end for her to sign the book I, I'd had of hers that I bought before I went. And we connected, we talked for maybe four minutes and there was something there. And, and, and we, she said, I think you should come to my seminar. She was holding a, a mediumship one seminar in the first one I went to was in San Diego. The next one was in San Jose. And I said, well, I have two young kids. She's like, I think you'll find a way to get there. And wow. I did. it was a month later, no, three weeks later after seeing wow. her in lakes that I then announced that I'm going to leave my family for the weekend and fly to San Diego, which from Phoenix is not that far, but I was not the mom that ever went away from my kids. I just was always at home. I didn't do the girls trip. So for me to go anywhere away from my young children was a big deal for me to go anywhere based on a, on what I called it then was, was, uh, on a hunch. It was really a nudge. I call it now, like I call them spirit nudges. I was nudged. That was my intuition. That was my soul wisdom saying, you got to get on that plane and go. And I listened. That's when I knew I really trusted myself. That's fabulous. So you talk about as a medium and an intuitive that your intention is that a session with you serves as a gentle soul excavation and catalyst for growth. Could you explain that to us, please, Steph? Sure. And you know, it, it sounds, I realized when I when I wrote it, it, it sounds a little dramatic in that, um, what, what is a soul excavation? I say it and I say gentle because if you think of excavating, you know, at a construction site, you think of like a, a big, what are they called? Like the crane. Yeah, yeah, like, like the claw. And it's yeah, the claw that goes in and 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 shoveling um, out the dirt. the dirt, right? Well, what I what I like to think of a mediumship session, and I call mine sessions and not readings, and that's intentional because they and, and it's not to diminish when a medium would call it a reading, because I understand why we're, we're reading the soul of, of a loved one in spirit. I'm reading the, the energy of my client in front of me in the physical. But in within a session, there's a lot that goes on. I'm not just reading the soul of a loved one. A soul excavation is, I am by doing the intuitive work, by, by bringing, by connecting with my client and having them that ability to talk back as far as childhood and maybe some inner child stuff comes up. That's the place that we have to go. I call it, I always refer to as getting into the muck. So we have to gently get through that muck of either what's happened in our childhood or what's happened on our journey. Getting through that muck, it's not to bring up wounds. It's, it's to sort of, I'd say it's almost like pulling up the gems. Like what can you find when you excavate? Well, there's a lot of things, beautiful things that you can find. And some of those things are wounds in there. But until we go through and we really gently excavate, we're living up here where everything may not be okay, but that's not where the real meat of it is. The meat of it is getting into that soul and gently excavating. And when we do that work, when we go through- You pull out energy, energetically, you pull out some of the- Not bodies. that I'm- 
Well, no, no, no. It's not that I'm pulling that out in that way. It's that I'm, I'm, I'm unearthing them. Let's let okay. like, Oh, you're revealing them. I am. Re now, what I say is you, my client knows themselves better than I do because they are in their own skin. However, sometimes we need that gentle reminder because either we're not willing to look there, it's too painful or we just, we, we need someone to help facilitate that. That's why I look at myself as a facilitator in that process. That's why I also say when a client comes to me, come as open as you can. If you really want to be able to get into the work, if you're open, you know, I'll have someone say to me, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not hurting. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> I see that and I see you smile, but I am an intuitive. So I feel into that pain. Now as an intuitive, an ethical intuitive, my job is also to know when can I go in and excavate? Because not everybody's ready. And I'm not the medium that's going to say, I don't care if you're ready. I'm going to bring my bulldozer in anyway. That's not what it's about. I can feel into whether or not someone's ready. And so it's gently going through. My client will nine times out of 10, they may not have it in their conscious mind, but on the subconscious, they're aware of it. They just haven't excavated. They haven't brought it up. So I go in and bring it up. And then I say, well, what do we do with that? That's not for me. That's why I'm not healing them. They then get to take that and decide, what do I want to do with that? And that's where the spirit world comes into play. That's why I call it a session because it's a mix of the messages and the guidance and the support or validation from their loved ones that have passed that will help whatever that excavation has brought up. And what then do they want to do with that? That's where that excavation comes into play. Well, that's really interesting because there are so many mediums. And I mean, I've interviewed so many amazing mediums who mostly come from the experiential experiential side, mm -hmm. but you give them this extra other perk. Not only do you do the experiential, but you can actually uh, help them with their issues and different things that are going on and bring it to the surface. I think that's wonderful. When, what I like, and I say this on my website, I always tell clients, I clearly, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a grief counselor. What I'm doing is it's almost like I'm holding space. It's like having oh, a- identify it and then I they can go take it and then decide what they're they, going to do with it. And they can leave and they can say, thank you. Oh yes, this was helpful. And, and I may never see them again, but I tend to have a lot of repeat clients only because, and what is the most joyful for me. And I, I had this recently when I see, when I've seen someone four times, let's say within a year, and I can literally feel their energy change. And I love this with women, not that I, I have, I tend to have for some reason more female clients than male for whatever reason. When I see them come on screen and they are so much more standing in their power and it's like layers have been shed, that's the work that they've done. And that, that's, you know, in certain jobs, you get a bonus. That's my that's bonus. reward. Yeah. Oh, exactly. I see that from someone and I see that light shining, like from their eyes, like that knowing, like I did this. I did this for me. There's that's that's the best thing that's ever. The best like thing. They're on their own path. They've yep. It's that's the best. Wonderful. That's wonderful, Deb. All right. So tell us how you see and sense the deceased because everybody sees some people use all five clairs, some people yes. use three clairs, three, you know. Yes. How's it happened for you? So it it is, it's all of the above. And then the way I describe it is it's very hard to articulate. Um, so I I I am clairvoyant, I do have cl clear seeing subjective, not objective. So I will not see your husband physically next to you. I see it in my mind's eye. Like explain to people, if I told you to remember your favorite scene from a movie, you could do that right now. You could picture the actors and what they're saying, but you're not actually seeing it, right? Play out in front of you. I do have clairaudience, which is clear hearing. I have um, claircognizance, which is that clear knowing, clairsentience, that clear feeling. 
And then there, Claire, Claire aliens, I have used a handful of times where I've smelled a barbecue grill. I knew this man was like a barbecue master because I could smell it. I smelled the smell of a cigar. I smelled perfume. I smell my grandmother's perfume all the time. I'll get in my car. I'm like, Hey, Graham, what you doing? <laughs> um, but, but in, so I have all those Claire's, but the best way to describe it is this is just me because we all work differently and there is no better or no worse. So just because there is room for all of us. I, I hate the fact that it feels like this. I so agree with you. I want to make that statement because here I am on the podcast and there are other people who have podcasts and all, and I don't do it as competition. No, I think, I think we're all contributing to the collective and getting the word out. I, I applaud everyone who's doing because maybe yeah. someone is more pulled towards one person than another. And I'm grateful for the ones who, yes. who are coming here who we're helping. That's how, that's how I see it. I say there's a medium for every person and a person for every medium. I may not be the medium for some of your listeners. And that's okay. If someone comes to me and I don't feel worth it, I will refer them to three ethical beautifully intended mediums that I feel that could help them. There is, there is space for everybody. So when I speak, I just like people to know, this is my, just my experience, my perspective, the way it happens for me, I don't experience things now separate from me. So if I'm bringing through, let's say your mom is in the spirit world and I were bringing your mom through, I don't see her separately. Like, Oh, I, I see your mom and I can describe how she's dressed. It's happening it's this knowing, it's this sensing, like the essence of your mom is somehow coming through me. I will have clients say, that was so weird, Deb, you didn't look like you. Now, I don't suddenly look like your mother, but my mannerisms, I had a reading a couple of weeks ago. I'm like, I want to sit back and I want to chain smoke. And I wanted to tap the table. And I said, she would have played blackjack or poker. I don't play cards. I didn't know. And my client starts crying and laughing. She's like, oh my God, my grandmother was this fierce chain smoker. And she was a hardcore blackjack player. So I wasn't, I wasn't describing it as something I was seeing. It was like happening. I was, I was embodying, or, or I'm not embodying. I was feeling the essence so close of their loved one and spirit, the energy that that's how it comes for me. So it's almost it's not even something that, that I can, when it's happening, that I can um, separate because it's like, it's all happening really quickly. That, and, and at the same time, the knowing, how do I know? I don't know. I, I just know. And, and yes, all no. of that, it all comes from trust, trusting the self and trusting the spirit world. Those two things have to be aligned. If not, then it, it just, it won't work for me. Right. I, I love how also you say that if that you find if, if, if it doesn't work for you, you find other people who have integrity because that's a big deal because unfortunately some people give this a bad name and it's so yeah. important for us yes. on both levels in my world too. It's so important sure, for yeah. us to find people who have integrity. It's like yeah. and that people can discern who's real and who is um, has other motivations or whatever. And I want to say it doesn't mean because someone's styles, there's, everyone stylistically is going to be different from me because they're not me and I can't be like them because I'm not them. It doesn't mean because someone's mediumship style is different that they're not ethical or legitimate. It's that the intention, the intention to serve the spirit world, to serve our clients, not the ego. When I am in a session with a client, I'm not worried about well, I hope I, I hope I, I look good to them. I hope I can, you know, pull the, 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 all the evidence out of the air so that they think it's not about me. I have to sort of, I say, I leave the building. I don't, I mean, I'm here. It's, it's, I'm a passive participant in the experience, but this experience is for my client and for their loved ones in the spirit world. It's not about me and how, oh, I killed that session. That's ego. And there is no place for ego. So I just encourage your listeners 
whatever medium intuitive that they seek out, so long as they resonate with that person and the way in which they do it. And so long as that session, the client feels like it was truly for them, it, it doesn't matter what the style is. It's the style that works for your client. Again, I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea. The woman down the street isn't going to be everyone's cup of tea. They're, people are going to gravitate to us because just like in life, right? I mean, if you go into a group of people, Absolutely you're, true. Women, you're going to gravitate toward, you just connect with, with certain people. Absolutely personality true. Wise. So that's what it's about. It's about. So, okay. So now here's a little bit of a complex question. Cause I think I put three questions in one paragraph. Okay. okay. You say that the true purpose of your mediumship is to guide a person to the true essence of who that person is on a soul level. What do you mean by true essence? And how do you help a person discover his or her soul's wisdom and what you call divine magic? Okay, let's see if I can break that up. We have to break that down. I, I tend to feel like a lot of us, and I include myself in this before I did a lot of work in therapy and self-development work in mediumship. A lot of us live, I always say we live out here, meaning we live, we have a persona, right? That we show to the world. If I were going to a PTA meeting, I'm I'm Deb Levine, the you know the PTA vice president, and I'm you know my kid's mom, and I show up this way. But maybe at home, I show up a different way. The key, and I I, I don't even remember now the first question you asked. I think I'm answering. What is this true essence? What do you mean by okay. the true essence? Okay. So the true essence is who you truly are on the soul level. Meaning, when you are aligned with who you are, when you have aligned your shadow and your light, all the things that make me Deb, not just the things I show to the world, because this looks good out here. There's plenty of stuff in here that's really good. And there's plenty of stuff that I need to work on as a human being. All of that encompasses my soul and who I am, the essence of me. That's your essence, right. But I need to show up as that person. How I am in the complete picture. It's a complete and how I am, the complete picture that I'm giving to you right now, Irene, and the complete picture that I'm going to show the guy in my office in an hour, and the complete picture I'm going to be when I'm on the phone with my parents later today, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here with you and go, hello, I'm, I, yes, I'm a medium, and then go home and be like, Wah. I mean, I, I have, I'm me, I'm like this, and I'm chatty and fast talking, I'm, this is who I am, whether I'm here with you on Zoom or whether I'm with my best friend talking on the phone, that to me is the essence of me that I'm aligned with my true self. I'm not showing you one thing. I'm showing the world exactly what I show myself. That's I'm why I call you authentic. You are authentic. Living in your truth is, is yes, to me what authenticity is. And then what was the second part? Because And I how do you help a person discover his or her soul wisdom and what you call divine magic? Well, I think what, what saddens me is I often, and, and I say that I, I do have a lot of female clients. I have female clients that have, we all have a beautiful light within us. Sometimes we just need a, a battery recharge, right? The light's been there. We all start out as light, if that's how you want to look at it. And our circumstances, the story of who we are has affected us, whether we've experienced grief, whether we... Um, you know, we've been so hard on ourselves or whether we've had people talk to us in a way in childhood, let's say you're not good enough. You can't be X, Y, or Z. All of those things contribute to the dimming of our light. Well, we can say that I just wish someone would, would light me up. That is fleeting because when that light is coming from an external place, it can be extinguished very quickly. Absolutely. When you know how to be your own battery charger, when you have that, that match and you can reignite your own flame, 
that is when your divine magic can, can happen all the time. But a lot of times we forget our own magic. It does not mean that it's not there. We all have it. You know, and I have to say in conjunction with this, people say, oh, it's, it's just so amazing, but you have this gift of mediumship and I don't, we all have gifts. My plumber who can, I mean, he's done things with my shower pressure. I, I have no idea my way around uh, 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 the, the workings of the pipes within my house. This man has that gift. That's his, that's one of the things that's magical for him. An artist, what they paint. I, I can't even draw a stick figure. We all have a device. Right. People, you know, I, this kills me. I used to, when, before I, I worked outside the home, people would say, well, what do you do? And I literally, it makes me cringe when I say this. I would say, oh, I'm just a mom. And I had a friend that pulled me aside. She said, I need you to do me and yourself a favor, a favor, because she was a stay-at-home mom too. You have to take out that word just. You are a mom. You are, are helping emotionally support these young people who are going to grow up to be what the world is comprised of. So that's not just anything. And I think a lot of us consider ourselves, I'm just fill in the blank. That's not being aware of our own divine magic. So the conjunction or, or the, the, if we combine all those three questions of what you asked, when we are reignited to our soul's purpose, when we have someone witness, bear witness to us, I'm a reflection for someone. Maybe you've forgotten your own magic, but I'm here to tell you that it's there. And in that soul excavation, going back to the other question, when things are brought up, like a lot of people think, oh, soul excavation, you're going to bring out the skeletons in my closet. These are amazing things that have been buried. You know, you have a, a way of, of just being present for people. And you have, the, like I might say, I feel like you, you have this connection to social work or psychology, they might say, what's well, funny because I, I took a couple of classes in social work, but I never did anything with it. People may forget what their own magic is, but we all have it. And that's the privilege of what I get to do is really be that mirror to, to reflect what someone's magic is. Now, I can't go out and, and work to kind of make that magic happen for every client. That's their work. I can't do soul work for other you people. You identify for them. I'm identifying and when you have a witness, there is something so empowering about all we want. This is my perspective. All we want as human beings is for someone to really see us, to see us, not this, to see us here on the soul level. That is so crucial because when we're seen for all the parts, not just the parts that look bright and shiny and look great on Facebook and social media, for the parts where we're having a really hard time or, or our anxiety is really acting up or our depression is kicking in. That does not make us unlovable. And I feel like sometimes, yeah, I'm, I'm a stranger when someone comes into my office or when I work with them on Zoom, but when my clients leave, we're not strangers because when someone bears witness and really validates who you are, that's all we want as human beings. And that sometimes is all it takes for that magic to be reignited within someone's soul. That's beautiful and it's so true. That's so true. And I feel like that happens with the podcast also. Absolutely. A lot of people I interview yes. come yes. out and it's wonderful. And it helps so many them. people. Yep, yep, yep. Mm -hmm. So you talk a lot about the shadow and the light. Yeah. In what ways have you learned to embrace and accept all that makes you whole, both the shadow and the light? And how has this affected your mediumship and intuitive work? Oh, that, that's a huge question. Um, I wrestled with a lot of things uh, since I was 10. Um, distorted body image. I was told by a pediatrician at the age of 10 in front of my mother that I was overweight. Well, you tell a girl at 10 years old, and even if 
And my mom, thank God, had the wherewithal. And she said, oh, Debbie, don't listen to the doctor. Your, your body is growing and changing. But those words, that's why when people say, you. Words, you know, words don't really sing. They don't last. Words can last more than anything. And maybe it Absolutely. wasn't a doctor. Maybe someone heard that from a parent. And thankfully, I, I was blessed with loving and supportive parents. And like I said, my mom had the wherewithal to say, don't listen to him. But those words already entered me. So I wrestled a lot with, with body image. I, I wrestled with anxiety. And there were so many ways in which I did not like myself. When I looked in the mirror, I was such a loud critic. I never gave myself compliments about, I'm not talking about looks, like you're a good person. You're a dear friend. You're loyal. You're honest. You're caring. It was, oh, you're too fat or um, you're not smart enough. Yeah, you have a pimple, right? Or, or you're not success, as successful as all your friends. That voice, that's what I call of all the shadow parts, was so deafening that it, it, it negated the, the light. And when I, on and off in therapy for years um, and doing all that work and, and anxiety was revolving around all of this stuff too, when I finally accepted that in order to be truly aligned with myself, in order to show up as I am, I have to, I have to be okay with both of those parts of me. I always was seeking validation and acceptance from everybody else. And, and I just did a video of this actually on my web, on my, um, my Facebook page, literally yesterday, I needed all of the experts. I call them experts in my life. That would be my parents, my best friends, my older sister. I didn't check in with myself. I needed to know what they thought. Was this a good move for my life? Am I okay? Am I enough? But they could, they, and they all did because they love me. Yes, Deb, yes. But I never believed that. So those words never sunk in. And that was the, first, the shadow and light. And you said, how did that accept my mediumship? When I finally learned that that duality is what makes me the imperfectly perfect human I am, I'm like, okay, this stuff is kind of crappy. But now does that mean I just, I just say, well, good, I'm aware of it. So I don't have to do anything about it. No, my work is never done. None of us, we, I mean, all of our work continues, right? If we want to grow work evolve, in progress all the time and souls can evolve in my mind on the other side, but we can certainly do our part to evolve here. And I'm always working on myself, having that awareness. Now I'm able to step outside of myself and say, Ooh, that reaction. Why did I react that way? Okay. That was a little extreme. What was it that triggered me? And I'm able to go through all of that. Why that was so important and critical for my mediumship. If I do not accept that duality, that is me, that shadow and the light of myself. How can I learn? How can I accept? And okay, the shadow and the light, I consider to be the truth of myself. If I can't accept the truth of myself, how will I be able to accept the truth of your loved ones in the spirit world? How will I be able to take into the truth of you, my client? I can't. That's why no matter who your people watching this go out and find as a medium, make sure it's someone that has really not just, oh, I did my work. I will, my clients know I'm not done my work. I am a perfectly imperfect human being. I'm not the divine. I come from the divine like we all do, but I'm a human being just like you. I get road rage if I'm driving sometimes and I wake up in a crappy mood. I tell people I am not, you know, to be put on a pedestal. But I have self-awareness and I have accepted both parts of me. I have accepted the truth of who I am. I have done the work and I am willing and have been willing to go there in that muck 
and excavate all that stuff in my own soul. So that allowed me to really hear, see, feel, and sense that truth of, of the spirit world. And that is the that was when my mediumship, it was like, poo, opened up in a way that I, I could never have imagined. I got so much deeper into sessions with clients because I went deeper into myself. And in my mind, for me, for my mediumship, that was the only way that that could happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think also when you talk about that, it also um, keeps you from being judgmental of other people because people can come to you with anything that they have to say or anything oh. that's gone on or anything. And because you see your own shadow, how can you judge someone else's? Irene, that is, that's such a fabulous point. No one else has, has raised that. I'm really glad you said that because it is critical as a medium not only did I not, and I, I say this in, in my sort of like my little five minute spiel I do before I get started with a client, this is a judge-free Zoom room or a judge-free space. And I say, I will not judge you, but I ask my clients, please leave judgment of yourself out the door. There is no room for judgment. Right. There are, they, I have had loved ones that have abused their, my client, the, the loved ones that have passed. I have had all sorts of things. There is no judgment on my end because we are all here to do our work and our, everyone's work is different. So if I'm judging, oh, you did that, that loved one in spirit is not going to come through me. Would, would you want to, would you want to play whisper down the lane with someone that was really judgy and negative? No, I don't want to deal with that in the physical. I certainly don't want to deal with that if I'm a, a spirit person either. So, so now here's a question that's not on my list. And I want to ask you about this. Mm -hmm. um, if someone comes through mm -hmm. from the other side and they were abusive, or um, malevolent to someone. Now, usually they're coming through to apologize because they've gotten a life review and they saw what happened, right? What is the effect of that? Is that supposed to get the person, the, 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 the sitter, uh, it, to go for healing or to understand? I mean, how does that work? Okay, well, yeah. In my, this is just my perspective in the experience. And I've witnessed this happening once. I yes. was, I was in a gallery when a man yeah. came through and he had died and he had said horribly abusive things to his child. And she was there crying hysterically because her father said these awful things. And she said awful things back to him the night before he unexpectedly <laughs> died. Oh. And it was such a healing that, that went on. So how do you feel about that? What, what, what happens? Like the guy, all right, he, he was terrible. He, yeah, he was terrible. Now, sometimes what, what, what you really have to be careful with and the, the loved ones that have come through with me that have been physically abusive to my adult clients, they don't expect forgiveness. What they're doing is they're, they're taking ownership. And when someone that has been abusive to a client takes ownership, it's up to my client to decide whether or not they choose to forgive. But when you hear someone admit, this is where actually huge healing takes place you were not the problem. This wasn't about you. Like I'll have clients that say, I was never like, these are clients that as, as adults, they're perfectionists. They're so hard on themselves. They never think they're good enough because they had a parent that said, you're never going to mount anything. You're stupid. You're horrible. Blah, blah, blah. Emotional abuse tends to be some of the worst that, that I've right. had right. because my adult client sees themselves through their deceased parents' lens that spew these horrible things. So when ownership is taken, when, when the, the deceased loved one says, this wasn't okay. And I need you to know, 
I, I'm aware that it wasn't okay, but I want you to understand this is how I was raised. This is what happened to me. Maybe my adult client didn't know that they were, you know, what their what their parents' childhood was like. So there is there is an ability then to let go. But I never say that all like automatically the spirit person's like, oh, I need you to forgive me because the soul does like like forgiveness at times, depending on who it is. But if that's up to the client here in the physical to say, I'm not ready to offer forgiveness, but wow, what a relief to have him say, it wasn't you. And I've had, I it just, just happened two weeks ago. I had um, a loved one say, this was a mom who was really unkind to her daughter and very critical. The daughter never thought she, she could do anything good enough. She said, I was lucky to have you as my child. Only I didn't realize how lucky I was then because I wow. was too narcissistic to see it. I could feel energetically feel this like it was almost like her shoulders started like this I could feel the release and she emotionally released and does that mean she walks out like oh great I'm healed it means that the healing process that can take place she would not if, if she hadn't met with a medium and if she wasn't able to connect herself with which some people can that aren't mediums she wasn't able to connect with her loved one herself now she received that validation like I am okay. I was good enough. I was a great daughter. My mom was lucky to have me. It was her issues. She was the trigger. It like the, her child triggered her mother. That wasn't yeah. the child's fault, you know? And so that's where so much healing can take right. place. And, and I think this is also part of the healing for the person on the other side. 100%. Because, because they're involved in healing and, they're, yeah. and they've gotten the picture of what happens and that it is for it you know like i said my job is to not only serve my clients it is to serve the spirit world we can grow and evolve well we're here the it's it's we're, it's not done i mean this is earth school but when earth school ends and our physical body stops working the soul is still evolving it and, is and, on yep yes. yep so let me ask you this tell us about how you became a certified sound healer what is sound healing and how do you use sound healing to help people heal so sound healing. I see ya, I see ya, I see ya. Oh, my gong. You're gone, gong. Right? I, have, I have my crystal sound bowl. healing. Yeah, I have my crystal bowl at home. I don't leave that in my office because it's um it's one of the only really precious things I own. So I keep it <laughs> locked up. Um, but I actually utilize sound healing as um really as an emotional release for myself when I was in the crux of my, you know dark night of the soul. Um, I went weekly to a, a Kundalini studio that unfortunately had to close down after COVID um, in North Scottsdale. And um, I faithfully went on Sundays to what was called a sound bath um, or a sound journey. And if your clients haven't done it, it is the most, if, if nothing else, it's the most relaxing hour you'll ever have. And maybe I was just escaping the noise of, of, of young kids at the time, but you essentially lay on a yoga mat in a darkened room with a blanket over you because the body temperature often drops. It gets a little chilly. So we always have a blanket and there are instruments of healing. I have, um, I have a gong I have right here. I'm going to show you this. This is my ocean drum. Oh, wow. So it sounds like the ocean. Yeah. I'm, I was a girl that grew up going down the shore to the Jersey shore. So I love it. <laughs> I can relate. Uh, I have a rain stick. There's a lot of instruments. So sound affects us vibrationally. And, it, you know, I've watched YouTube videos on this um, and it's really incredible how sound can alter things on the cellular level. And it's not that you actually necessarily walk out of a sound healing with no physical ailments, but it can, it does the most for stress and for emotional healing. 
it's hard to explain unless you've experienced it, but it can trigger almost like an emotional opening, a release. And even sound is frequency and that frequency, you can feel it in your body. Even if I were to, to bang, if I were to, to use my mouth and hit that gong, even when the actual sound stops, you can actually still feel the, the, the waves, the vibration mm -hmm. through your body cellularly. And it was so profound. I would have these, I call them downloads. I mean, and I was a medium then, but I would finish the sound bath and I would go into my car and I wasn't able to drive home. It was almost like, and I'm, I don't take hallucinogenic drugs, but it's what I imagine them to be like. It's like taking a hallucinogenic drug without, and I would sit in my car and have to really ground and I would keep a notebook and I would take notes. For me, it was, it was an opening. It was an opening to a greater consciousness. Um, I would leave feeling so relaxed and so at peace. So um, when I found that my yoga studio was offering um, a certification workshop weekend, this happened to be, we got so lucky. It was literally two weeks before life here kind of closed down for COVID. I decided, I, I didn't know why. I have a, a friend of mine, a dear friend who's a Reiki master. She encouraged me to go with her. And I thought, well, I don't need to, I don't need to teach it, but I didn't really know. Again, this was a nudge. I just felt like I needed to do it. But I like to learn things from the opposite end. So here I was reaping the benefits of it. I was more curious then about how it worked, how it served as such a meditative experience. And so I got certified in it. And what was so cool was I bought my gong right before COVID and I just gifted friends and family. And, and then I, I, would, I would gift people that I knew and I'd say, if you have someone that you feel could use, you know, there was a lot of tension and stress during COVID. Absolutely. Reach out to me and, and I'd love to just do it. You do this me. online also, if a person would like I to. I do it online, but I will say it sound is much better experienced when in it's person. live in person. So it is a very small element of what I do. I think maybe once, God willing, once COVID is really behind us, um, I can do it outside. So it's the kind of thing that can be done safely. Like a yoga class would be on the mm -hmm. grass, but the acoustics really matter with sound. That's why my yoga right, studio. Right, I get that. Totally. Yeah. So, so speaking of what you do online, tell us about your soul wisdom services that support healing and empowerment. So um, essentially I offer, like I say, I call them sessions and it's a 45 minute session. And I, as I call them soul excavations, I really want people to know because I've had, I've had people email me and say, and I like no information, by the way, I think there's this myth that, oh, mediums do cold readings. You look us up and you find everything out about us. You're going to hear it from me straight. And, and hopefully you'll see that um, I'm about as uh, blunt as, as one can be and as, as honest as one can be. It is so much harder to know information about clients. I don't even want to know someone's last name because then we start using the mind. My mind, my conscious mind has no business in a session. If I'm, look, if you go into a coffee shop and I tell you to look at that guy over there sitting with, with the tank top and the chains and the tattoos, you're going to assume all these things about this guy. Oh, maybe he's a biker. Well, he might actually be own a, a corporate law firm just because he has tattoos doesn't mean that he can't, you know, be a lawyer. Right, right, right. Use our conscious mind. So when someone reaches out to me and says, um, Deb, I'd like to book a session with you. I, I lost my father a year ago. So I'd really like you to make contact with him. What I want people to understand, there are mediums that will do it. It's what's called a made to order. You want to hear from your husband, I will bring him through. That is just not how I work. Because what I want for my clients or, or what my intention is, is that every person that meets with me receives what they need for their best and highest good. 
I can't know that because I've never met you before. Your loved ones in the spirit world sure do know that. So let's say you come in and you say, I really want to hear. I want to hear from Saul. I feel like I would just love to hear from him. If he's the loved one in spirit that the spirit world feels that you need, need not want to hear from for your best and highest good, then that's who's going to come through. But maybe maybe you have, you're, you're in need of some extra support right now for whatever reason. And your grandmother was the person you would go to when she was here in the living. She was that one that would always support you and in, in all of your endeavors. Yep. Well, and then it might be Graham that comes through. I don't have control of that, nor do I try to control that. It's always about the intention that you receive. A session has to be helpful, hopeful, and or healing. There's no dark energy or this, or we're going to extract that. Not about that at all. The idea is that you leave feeling peaceful in some way. And again, I, I can't make this happen. I'm a facilitator of this. So long as someone comes open, it's a 45 minute session. I work with people all, actually all across the world so we can do it on Zoom. There is no, it's not better to meet me in person as it is on Zoom. I've had equally amazing sessions with someone that's you know in Florida and I'm in Phoenix, Arizona than it is when someone comes into my right, office. Right. So, so now that people want to see you and get a session, how do they get a hold of you? My website is probably the easiest way. If you go on to the, T-H-E, soulwisdom.com, because soul wisdom was taken. So the soulwisdom.com, there is a, a place there where you can email me or my email is um, uh, the soulwisdom at gmail.com, but that's already on my website. So if you hit my website, there's a phone number. I will not talk to people on the phone though. This is, people might think this is strange. I've had people leave messages and I text back because I can pick up too much energy even from hearing someone's voice. And I don't, there are mediums that do this. I don't do pre-readings. I'm not gonna get information ahead of time and then re and spit it back to you when I'm in a session with you. Everything is gonna happen live. I do not tap in ahead of time. I like people to know that too. Deb, do you go by Deb Levine or Deb Razor? I go by Deb Levine. Levine, so if they, if they go on to Deb Levine medium, that will come up on Google and all that jazz. It, yes, it should. And on Facebook, I am Deb Levine. Um, uh, I have a, a, it's a soul wisdom page. It's soul wisdom AZ. I believe if you, if you. The soul wisdom is, we'll get them there. But if they don't, if they, if they don't remember that, they can. Hit and on Facebook, I'm, I'm Deb Levine. Correct. And, and on Instagram, I'm simply soul wisdom AZ. Um, so they can find me that way. Okay, great. And um, what would you like to tell our grief and rebirth podcast audience about the importance of healing? Hmm. including why you say that healing does not have a formal beginning and an end, which I really understand what you're trying to say, but please yes. explain that to everybody. Well, and I, I did a video once on this um, because I had someone ask me, they were, we were talking about healing versus being cured of something, you know, all, and when we think of a cure, we think of curing a physical ailment. Cure, cure in my mind means to put a stop or an end to something. We want to cure world hunger, right? We want to cure cancer, but can I be cured of what emotionally ailed me. Can I be cured of my anxiety or could someone be cured of their depression? We say, I'm healing from, I'm healing from my anxiety because to me, healing is a lifelong process. It's a process, it's a journey. It does not have a period on the end It's of a sentence. It is open-ended. And when I say that, it's because there are times in all of our healing journeys where we might be triggered by something and have this little flashback and that's happened to me all the time. I kind of regress, I say, and I, I, I exhibit behavior that was maybe in my pre-healing or my pre-self-development work phases. But 
The difference is I now have the self-awareness to say, oh, I reacted that way. Let me take a step back and, and, and feel into why. Whereas before I would have just gone down that rabbit hole and I would have been feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm flailing around. I have such anxiety. There is, it, it does not negate the work that you have done on your healing journey. If you have some regression, that is just the process of healing. It's like you take five steps forward. And sometimes we take two steps back. I believe it's the same way with grief. And I can't speak from experience, but I know from clients that tell me there it's not linear. It's not like, well, why aren't I over it? That to me is the most insulting thing. No one gets over a loved one that they've lost ever. It doesn't yeah. happen, but can we move forward? Can we take the necessary steps? Just like with our own emotional angst. Can we step forward if someone has been abused, if someone has gone through a trauma of some type and it's not grief, it's a different kind of trauma. Healing is a process, it's a journey and it is a lifelong event. And it's something to really be proud of because taking that step in healing is showing up for yourself. It's being so courageous. It's really having the guts, as I say, to jump into that muck and be willing to get really uncomfortable. No one likes to be uncomfortable as human beings. We wanna do everything to avoid it. But that's where the crux of the work lies when you're really willing to get in there and get uncomfortable. That's how it starts. I always say the most courageous people in the world are those who are willing to face their stuff and heal. That's, that's I 1000% agree with that statement. You know, yeah, yep. you hide from your stuff and you run across it your whole life. It's like you're carrying it like a huge backpack on your back. And the sad thing is it's, it's that we're, I feel that people hide it from other people because they worry so much about what everyone thinks. If we can get rid of that, if there were no judgment, right? maybe we'd take the time to go, in, go inward and realize, you know what? People aren't worried about you so much. They're dealing with their own stuff. And even if you think, oh, that person has the perfect fill in the blank job, marriage, um, what wardrobe, whatever it is, it's all, it's all external. It's all the stuff. And the stuff in my eyes just doesn't matter because that's the stuff that goes away. This, as, as I know from experience, this, the soul part of us does not go away. When the physical body dies, I, I say this to you as we, we get ready to wrap up here. I remember sitting at my grandmother's funeral thinking not one person in her at 102 years got up and spoke about her and said, when Reba was 52, she wore a size four skinny jeans. When she was 60, she was up a little bit into a size six. Nobody talked about what, how, what my grandmother looked like, what she ate, what size jeans she didn't do, how much money she made. They all talked about how my grandmother left them feeling, what, how my grandmother was such a presence for them. And I realized then that was all that mattered to me that I wanted to live my life in such a way where when you talk about leaving a legacy, what is that? Is it leaving money? Is it leaving your things? No, it's, it's the feeling that you leave people. People, I guarantee you today, I'm going to go on my Facebook page and people will have written things about my gram. She died four years ago. She left a mark on people because of how she made people feel. She that's left right. a mark on me. And, and that's what it's really all about. That's really what it, all, it is all yeah. about. And what is the Deb Levine tip for finding joy in life? That's my big thing. And my keyword there is finding. I don't, I, I stopped trying to find joy. I used to try so hard to find joy. I would want to find it in other people. I'd want to find it in baking and eating because I, I felt like I could stuff it all down. Now what I realize is when I accept myself, when I'm really aligned and in the truth of who I am, which I know sounds like spiritual BS, but it's really what I believe. I'm being joy because I am so aligned. I show up as myself. 
No one can disrupt that. Being joy to me, not finding joy, but being joy means being at peace with who I am. And when I'm at peace with who I am, I can find joy anywhere because I am the joy then. I don't need to be around a person to give that to me. I don't need to be on a vacation. That joy is within me. And so that's, it, it that's was finding- I totally agree with that. That's beautiful. Thank you, Deb. Thank you. you know, when you stop trying to be all the things you thought you should be, you came to appreciate and accept who you truly are, your I am. Mm-hmm. Your joy lies in the opportunity your mediumship allows you to also guide others onto this path. And I love that you approach your calling to mediumship with such humility, gratitude, and awe. That is really special. I'm sure, I really, it's so special. I'm sure many in our Grief for Me Birth audience now want to check out your soul wisdom services. And they surely join me in thanking you for this heartwarming, wise, and uplifting interview. Thank you. Thank you. And here's a reminder, everyone, that you can see the show notes and all Grief and Rebirth podcast episodes on IreneWeinberg.com. And make sure to follow us and like us on social at, at Irene S. Weinberg on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. As I like to say, to be continued, many blessings, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.